Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you have it, say, mm hmm. Finally, somebody say, finally. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm with the belt, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, put it on. Then you may be seated. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten to a fight with somebody where it began fair? In other words, it began with an understanding, but somewhere in the fight, the rules changed. Have you ever gotten into one of those fights before? When I was younger, I got into one of those fights where I got into a fight with a friend, right? We were good friends, but we had a disagreement. And when the disagreement happened, you know, we begin to fight. And if you're a guy, you kind of understand this. Girls may not. But as a guy, you know, we understand that there's a certain rule that you could hit me and I'll hit you, but don't touch the face. And that's how it begins for a little bit of a friend. But all of a sudden, somewhere, it becomes where you got hit in the face. And when you touch the face, it's on. Like, you can hit me here. You can hit me here. You can even try to take my leg. Do whatever you want to do. But when you touch the face, that's wrong. So I remember when I was younger, we started fighting. We were getting in there. You know, we were wrestling. I was you know, choking him. He was trying to choke me. We were going at it. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in there, one of us accidentally hit the other one by accident, you know, with the elbow in the face, and that was it. It went on from there. Then I, I remember all rules went out the window. I remember I started biting him. I mean, I was really like, we were, I mean, I was, I was hitting him everywhere that I could. I was trying to take, I was trying to gouge out his eyes. I mean, every, he was trying to get, it's like, man, where, where did this come from? Because somewhere in there, somewhere in the fight, it started off to where, okay, we're going to go this far. But somewhere in there, it went too far. Where did that come from? What happened? And be, that also begins to happen even within our lives. We come to church, we get involved, and we say, okay, there's a devil, and he's going to hit me, and I'm going to hit him, and okay, and then we're going to go back and forth. But somewhere in the fight, it goes too far. Somewhere the enemy says, oh, okay, I'm done hitting you, now I'm going to hit your family. Okay, now I'm done hitting your family, now I'm going to hit you here. Like, wait, 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 that, 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 hey, that's too far. Where in the rules does it say too far? I can hit you wherever I want. If I want to take somebody out, matter of fact, if I not only want to take them out, if I want to put them on their deathbed, I can. That's too far. No, I do whatever I want because that's what the enemy wants to do. And so somehow, some way, this is where 
You and I must understand that the rules of our fight have nothing to do with the physical, but everything to do with the spiritual. And until we fully understand it, we're going to think we're fighting in the physical. We're going to think, well, if I just go tell her, or if I just go tell him, and if I verbally say it, then everything's going to change. No, you're not realizing it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. Somebody say spiritual. See, what you and I must understand is that the enemy wants to do everything that he can to steal from us, to kill from us, and even destroy us. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says that the thief come only to steal and to kill and to destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. Somebody say steal. Somebody say kill and destroy. What does he want to steal? You know what I have found? The enemy wants to steal your identity. He wants to steal who you think that you are in Christ. What does he want to do? He wants to kill your soul. In other words, he wants to make you not want to fight anymore. And he wants to destroy. He wants to destroy you to the point where you feel like you have no future and you have no purpose. See, what you and I must understand, my friend, is that we are in a war. We're in a battle. And many times, if we don't understand this, we're not going to know how to fight this battle. We're not going to know how to fight this war. I remember when I was younger, we were in a, a war. It was called the Gulf War. And I remember being a young man watching the news channel and the, the way they would break down the war. You know what, how I felt good as a young kid? I felt good knowing the schemes and the schematics of the enemy and also of ourselves. And they used, I remember they, they would watch down, they would break down the tanks. They, oh, we got this tank, and it comes, and it does this. And I was a little kid watching, going, wow, this is, this is cool. You know, I, I got intrigued with the war. And, but how I got intrigued is when I started finding out how the battle was fought. When I started finding out how it was, it wasn't just the fact that we're in a war. Okay, who are we in a war with? What are we doing? Well, this is what you do. Oh, okay. Started getting intrigued. See, what you and I must understand is that you can't just come here and say, I'm in a war. All right. Well, how do you fight it? Oh, okay. Let's get a little bit more in depth with how to fight this war. See, you and I must understand that we are right now presently in a war. A war where the enemy wants to bring up our past and kill our future. Ed Welch said this. He said, there is a mean streak to authentic self-control. Self-control is not for the timid. When we want to grow in it, not only do we nurture an exuberance for Jesus Christ, we also demand ourselves a hatred for sin. The only possible attitude towards an out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. There is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves and you're in attack mode. Someone coughs and you are ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. Matthew chapter 11 verse 12 says, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Now whenever I heard that scripture, read that scripture, I said, man, violent? So does that mean that I got to rage and I got to yell real loud in order to get violent? No, my friend. You and I must understand that it's not violence against what we see in the physical. It's not violence against other people. It's not violence against Muslims or Jehovah's Witness. It's not violence against Hindus or even atheists. It's not violence against your husband or your wife or your children. It's not violence against your coworkers or your boss. But it's in every impulse in our soul to be violent against other people. In other words, you got to get violent against wanting to be violence when you want to okay then get mad at yourself and say don't do that the violence 
take it by force. See, this world wants the violence to come out of you. And if you don't think so, just drive on the freeway. You'll see where that comes from. The traffic, right? Doesn't the traffic sometimes, you're like, oh, my gosh, hurry up. I'm one of those guys. I need Jesus when it comes to traffic. I'm there like, man, come on. You know, God, God's showing me glimpses of the promise because I've been in traffic even the other day. It took me an hour and a half when usually, I, you know, when I come from San Jose over here, I'm like, man, come on out. I need to get home. The other day I just settled it. You know what? It's going to take forever. So I was, you know, people would come in. One guy, was, he was mad. He was really mad. And I'll never forget. You ever drove with somebody right there and they got real, and you could see them, like how they're driving. But you're in traffic. You're going to catch up to them. So I remember this guy was like, he was trying to, go, I could see him in my rear mirror kind of coming down. And, and finally he came up. He got in front of me. And then he got in the other lane. And I drove up. I'll never forget that. I drove up to him. I lowered the window. I went. I just kept driving. I'm just trying to make him smile because, man, because when you're in traffic, you get angry. You get mad. And if you think about it, why are you mad? Why are you angry? That's what you got to do in order to get there. See, what you and I must understand that while you're here in church, don't get mad at the war. It's a part of it. It's a part of it. You got Sometimes you just got to smile saying, amen, thank you for gossiping about me. Praise the Lord. Thank you for spreading the rumors. Hey, thanks, thanks for talking bad about me. Thanks for throwing me under the bus. That was really cool. It's okay. It happens. See, but you and I must understand that we are in a war. Somebody say in a war. See, what we have to get violent against is we have to get violent against our own selfish desires, our own selfish ways, the own lust within ourselves, the lust that wants food, money, pornography, the praises of men, approval of others, the power, the fame. This, my friend, is an enemy. And what we're involved in is a war. I remember we had a preacher come behind the pulpit some years ago, and he said this, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, spiritual warfare is not power against power. It's truth against the lie. It's truth against a lie. See, and that's what we're fighting even in today's day and age. We're not fighting against each other. We're fighting against what is the truth because the truth will set you free, but lies will bound you up. Lies will bind your legs. They'll bind your heart. They'll bind your eyes. They'll bind your hands. But when you get the truth, it sets you free. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 8, verse 44 says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of all lies, referring to the enemy. In Romans chapter 8, verses 3, it says, for what the law was powerless to do, and that one was weakened by the sinful nature. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. Then in verse 12 it says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. In other words, the enemy's coming to kill you. So guess what? Before he comes to kill you, you kill your own nature. Kill your own nature. So then the enemy has nothing to kill. That's pretty good stuff right there. Some of you got to catch that right there. Before the enemy comes and tries to kill you, you kill that. So you know what? That nature that wanted to be his old self, her old self, I got to kill that. See, that's why it's very important. Listen to me. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to talk about it again. For those of you that the sinful nature keeps on uh, coming up, you get that phone, and if you have to, you kill that phone. Get a flip phone if you got to. 
Well, I need my phone. You don't need that phone. Especially with the stuff that pops up on that phone, kill that phone. Before it goes and kills your marriage, you kill it first. You kill that thing. You don't need that. Listen to me. I talked about this the other day. Maybe go back and listen to the message on the sinful nature of pornography and sexual immorality because a lot of people think, well, what's the big deal? It's a huge deal. It's a very huge deal. And then for those of you that are saying, well, sexual immorality, that's not me. Well, on the flip side, Paul also makes another list. If you got anger in your heart, it's the same thing. Go, oh, I don't, have, I don't have a problem with the phone, but you got a problem in traffic. You got a problem with that tongue. You got a problem with the th- stuff that comes off that tongue. So you have to be able to kill something. Now, if you're here today and say, well, I'm not a killer. If you've ever used a can of Raid on ants, you're a killer. You're a killer. So now you got to lo- use a can of Raid in the spirit on that sinful nature. Don't let that thing pop up. When you wake up in the morning and you're like, ah, I don't feel like going to work. And then all of a sudden you get to work and then everybody around you, man, you don't want to be here at work. I know you got to kill that thing. No, you know what? I'm glad I'm alive today. I'm happy I'm alive today. I'm just, the fact that I'm breathing. thank, Thank you, Jesus. Being grateful. See, rather than being ungrateful, be grateful. Be grateful that you woke up. You may not be in the best of condition, but the fact that you're alive is a great condition. So you got to flip it around. Kill that nature. Tell you never kill that nature. See, the only foothold the enemy has in your life is your flesh and your sin. See, nobody ever goes to hell because of Satan. I want you to understand something. Nobody ever goes to hell because of Satan. The only reason why we would go to hell is because of our very own sin. See, much more important than fighting Satan is that we got to fight sin. See, I need to realize that my biggest enemy isn't the isn't Satan. My biggest enemy is me. Satan doesn't have enough power to make me go to hell. Jose Norowski said this, in war, there are no unwounded soldiers. Francis Meacham said this, he said, men are at war with each other because each man is at war with himself. See, we need to be a people that will stop blaming others for our downfalls, our shortfalls, and even for our pitfalls. We need to be equipped for this war. It's very, very important. I don't care if you're an introverted person or an extroverted person. Every single one of us here are at war. And until you understand the schemes of this war, you're not going to be able to win that battle. That's why when the, the worship leader will come up and come up and say, come on, we're all victorious. Yeah, you're victorious, not me. See, because right now you feel like you're going through hell. But guess what, my friend? I like what somebody once said. He said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Just keep going. Don't worry about it. Keep going. Don't stop in the middle of it. Keep going. There's a story about how it, Hitler... Back in the First World War, he had an appetite for power and, and ter- territory. And as it grew, his army began to march across Europe. And in some cases, when they would march, the fight could hardly be called a battle. The German army advanced with its tanks. Uh, the German army advanced with its tanks, with technology and advanced weapons. In some of the underdeveloped nations, their army made a futile effort to resist Hitler's aggression, fighting back with spears and even with rocks. Because it was no contest at all, these nations were not equipped for war. When Hitler would march across with tanks, the enemy fought him with rocks, and they could not win that battle. 
The same could be said of Satan when he fights against many of us. See, many of his victims don't even know that there is a war going on, and they become very easy prey. Christians should know that we are in the midst of a great spiritual struggle, although many seem to not believe it. And even more distressing is this fact, that many who consider themselves in the war do not understand the nature of Satan's schemes or of the weapons in which he deploys, or even the weapons which God has provided for our defense. So here this morning, I want to just give you three primary weapons that the enemy tries to do. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, and against the rulers of this dark world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Spiritual wickedness in high places. There are three primary things that I have found that we struggle against many times that the enemy tries to take us out with. Number one is deception. Somebody say deception. The deception is a place where the enemy or somebody makes another person believe a lie that is not true. See, when the enemy sends deception your way, it is an attempt to deceive you into believing something that isn't true so that you're going to fall into error. You know what happens with deception? Deception is where it grows the strongholds. The strongholds. Strongholds are, are grown through deception. In other words, even though it may not be or it may be true, the deceiver comes in and says, it can't be true. You're not a child of God. You're not a woman of God. Look what you just did last week. Look what you were doing last month. Look what you were involved in last. You can never be forgiven of sins. You can never do that, man. You're all messed up. Matter of fact, you don't need the home once. You need the home three times. No way. A deceiver. Somebody say deceiver. See, in this stronghold, is formed when deceptions take hold in a person's mind, and it's an incorrect thinking pattern that stems from believing something that isn't true. See, from the very beginning, Satan deceived Eve into believing that God's word wasn't true. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, the devil told her that she will not surely die as God said she would in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in other words, when deception comes in, what you got to do is you got to take hold of that lie, grab it, and submit it unto God, and say, you know what? Today, I will not be deceived by the enemy and his tactics, but I'm going to be obedient to everything and anything that God has told me is true. What does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. See, what you and I must understand. See, I was having a conversation with somebody even the other day about this. We were talking about this whole presidential race. And I said, you know what's funny? Is that this same presidential race happened in Jesus' day. Did you know that? I'm like, what? I go, yeah, the same thing happened. Look it up. All the different, we call them presidents, but then they just called them kings. And they had different ways of going about it. And the same thing would happen. So you know what they did? They came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, so you're going to get rid of this guy? Because we don't like this guy. We're sick of this government. We don't want this government. Can you do something about it? And Jesus said, hey, the kingdom that I have is not of this world. You're getting too caught up. And the things that are around you. Well, what about this or what about that? No, you're not understanding. This is a spiritual thing. Don't be deceived. 
Because the main thing that the enemy wants to do is he wants you to take your eyes off of God and put them on the man. So what you got to do is say, you know what, whatever the enemy's trying to do, I'm going to take that. I'm going to recognize that I'm in a war, that I'm in a battle, and I'm going to take that deception, and I'm going to say, God, you grab a hold of this. You take this. I'm not going to let the enemy lie to me. I'm not going to let the enemy lie to my family. I'm not going to let the enemy lie to my children. I believe that you are the soon coming king. You are my father, and he isn't. He's not, don't, make sure that your father is not the father of lies. You got to make sure. But the only way is to take it and submit it unto God. Number two is temptation. Somebody say temptation. Temptation often follows deception. Temptation often follows deception. See, first, the enemy tells us, you won't surely die. And then he makes the fruit on the forbidden tree look very good to us. See, since Eve accepted Satan's deception or the lie, now the tree that she was not supposed to touch looked very good to her. She was tempted. She was enticed to sin because she had allowed herself first to be deceived. Then temptation is where the enticement or the encouragement to sin is in one way or another. See, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus himself was led out to the desert to be tempted by the devil. The devil tried to convince Jesus that it would be harmless to jump off of the building. See, oftentimes, the deception comes in, and the, 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 the temptation looks a whole lot better. See, first you've been told, hey, look, you're no good. So then what happens is, I'm going to do everything that I can that is not good. It starts with the deception. Man, you can't make it. Then you do everything that you can after that not to make it because the temptation comes your way. Man, what good is that? They don't care about you there. Well, get it. Look at your family. They don't care about you. Your friends, they don't, that church, they don't care about you. The deception comes in and goes, yeah, you know what? Nobody cares about me. What's the big deal? I had to uh, uh, contact somebody in another city because I, I read somebody's post. Somebody, people, it's funny. People write their whole emotions on Facebook. They write the whole thing. And I don't know if people think that nobody's going to read it. Like, no, we read it. It's there. So I read a post the other day, and I, I don't know the guy personally, but I had to call somebody in that city. He was a, out, of, out of state. I had to call him and say, hey, there's a guy who posted something on there that I don't know how he thought about it, but just the fact that he was deceived, number one, I don't know he's gonna, if he's going to fall into that temptation because he wrote on there, I just feel like getting a gun and putting it in my mouth and pulling the trigger. And I went, whoa. That's a little bit too far there. That's crazy. See, I don't know if people look at that and go, ah, he's just, see, I don't know the guy. I have no idea. So I don't know the type of temptation that this guy could fall into. And so when people write that, I go, man. No, I might, I say that that's an extreme one. Now, believe me, I took care of that. I call, hey, 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 go, go get this guy. If I have to, I'll fly over there myself. It's in Ohio, just letting you know. It's over there in Ohio. I was like, man, I don't even know the guy. You don't write that stuff and just think, ah, it's no big deal. See, because what happens is first is a deception and then comes the temptation. Nobody cares about me anyways. What's the big deal? You know, my wife, she don't care. My husband, he don't care. What's, it's just, this is no big, it's just, I'm just taking a bite of the apple anyways. Nothing else is true anyways. What's the big deal? And for many of us, we fall into that same temptation. First we get deceived and then all of a sudden, well, what's the big deal? See, this is where you and I must understand that caption or that phrase when it comes into you and says, what's the big deal, my friend? It's a huge deal. Your life is a huge deal. 
Your spiritual walk is a huge deal. So I'm praying. I'll be, I'm going to give you guys the results of what happened with that guy because I really want to find out. I kept calling and calling and calling. So I'm going to find out. It says, hey, because a lot of people feel, well, what's the big deal? It's not a big deal. No, my friend, it's a very big deal. We don't want the enemy to lie to you and to deceive you into tricking that your life is not worth it. If there's anybody here today that you've had those suicidal thoughts, I want you to know something. Your life is a very big deal. God loves you. He loves you right where you're at. You don't have to worry about going out there and trying to fall off and jump off and do this stuff and take this and do the, take this drug and that's it. I want to end my life. No, my friend, your life is precious. Your life is powerful. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. Don't let the enemy in the world deceive you into thinking that you're worthless. My friend, you are valuable. You're valuable. Tell your neighbor you're valuable. See, Satan's temptation is to get us away from speaking God's word. But I like what King David said in Psalms chapter 119. He said, thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. See, when the enemy tempts you, you know what he's doing? He's showing you the worm. For those of you that are fishermen, right, when you fish, before you put the hook out there, you got to put the worm on there. And the worm is what gets you. The worm is what is thrown out there. And so what you and I must understand is that when you see that, it's nothing more than a worm. But to get rid of the worm, you got to get that word. you got to get that word inside of you. It says, no, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. For love, the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. you got to get that word inside of you. For whatever situation you're going through, get the word and get it inside of you. The third and the last thing, and I close with this is after deception, after temptation, the third is accusations. Accusations. See, these are the fiery darts that the enemy tries to shoot against you that I want to make sure you understand. Accusations. See, the Bible says that the devil is known as the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. See, he is known to take a believer who has done an embarrassing or gross sin in their past and continue to rub it in their faces and to beat them down with guilt and condemnation over the past. See, when you and I have disobeyed God, Satan moves in for his finishing touch. He attacks us in our heart and even in our conscience. So you're a Christian? You're not a very good one. You go to church? Mm, I wouldn't go to that church if I were you. Starts accusing you. What good are you? You're all messed up. Look at you. Your hair ain't even all that together. Matter of fact, you ain't even got no hair. That's cold, huh? I look at Damien and Pastor Darrell. You don't look like them. They come, they come from a different culture. You're of a different culture. You're of a different breed. They don't understand you. Wait, what good is that? Man, you say you're, you're a godly man. We should, man, we should hear what is going on in your house. See, what happens is the enemy tries to come in many times, and you come into the house of God, but he accuses you by your house first. And he says, what good is your house? And you want to come to the house of a holy God? The accusations that is hurled down. See, what you and I must understand, and this is what I've learned, is that the enemy, he's very cunning and he's very subtle. See, before he sin, before we sin, 
He's tempting us and saying, you're never going to get away with this. Then after we sin, he's deceiving us and saying, you'll never get away with this. But then all of a sudden, here comes the accusations, and he opens up ourselves, we open up ourselves with despair. And all of a sudden, we begin to say, you know what? My situation is hopeless. I'm never going to be able to change. I've gone too far. God will never take me back. I had a conversation even the other day with somebody and saying, you know what? I want to go to church, but I'm too messed up. And I had to let him know, no, my friend, listen. Matter of fact, church is for imperfect people. Church is for messed up people. Matter of fact, if there's any church that understands it, it's this church. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. You should understand that we are all messed up. The things that we've gone through, the things that we have done, matter of fact, most of us here in this church, we don't even deserve God's grace. Matter of fact, not most. Let me rephrase that. All. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can I be open and honest with you? Even the pastor has fallen short of the glory of God. That's crazy, I know. It's crazy. But you know what I have found? I have found this, is that even in the midst of it all, even in the midst of what's going on, even in the midst of the battle, I have learned to do my best. You know why? Because I've learned what the enemy's best is. This is his best. Deception, accusation, temptation. See, that's his best. So that's his, I'm giving you his weapons so that you understand what it is. The reason why I say that is because when I was growing up in sports, we used to have this thing called the film room. And the film room was a place where all the team would go and sit down and we would watch the other team. We would watch the other team and what they would do. We would see, okay, this pitcher, he's got a curveball. It drops from, you know, 11 to 5. You know, we, we would know, we would understand, we would, okay, this guy. But this guy, he drops it this way. And so we'd sit there and we would just watch and we would watch and we'd watch. And we'd see and we'd look at the enemy, what he would do. And we, the fact that I'm even calling him an enemy, huh, that's crazy. But in baseball, that's how I thought. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. So how would we go? We'd get this guy. Okay, this team would do this. And we'd have Sacred Heart and Menlo. They would do this. And then we'd have this team. And so we'd understand. We would write down. And we'd be looking at film. And I'd write it all down. So that when the game time came, I remembered, okay, here's my scouting report. And I would look at it from sitting there. And I would understand. Now that we're about to get in this, now I know what he's going to try to do. I know what he's going to try to throw me at this count. I know that picture. So I know where I'm at. So when I get in that box and I have my weapon of choice and I got my bat, I know what he's going to try, but he also doesn't know what I'm going to do. See, I know my word. I know my weapons. I understand what I can do. See, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So what's very important is that you and I, we grab a hold of this. And so when the enemy tries to tempt you, I know what I can do. When the enemy tries to deceive you, oh, no, you can't deceive me. When the enemy tries to accuse you, oh, no, you can't accuse me. I mean, or should I say, you could try, but you ain't going to win. You could try all your best, but you're not going to win. As for me in my house, as for me in my house, listen to me, all the dads, as for me, then my house, dads, me, he says it me first. As for me, don't look at your wife and say, wife, you got to get it together. No, 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 no. As for me, as for me, then my house, as for me, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. See, one of the things that I really love about my father is that when I was growing up and I wanted to mess up, you know what he always made sure? And he would always say this. 
He would say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so you know what I wanted to do? I said, fine, I'll get out the house. I go, fine, you can do whatever you want to do. But it's my house, my house, my spirit, my battle, my weapons. You know what I do now? I do the same thing. You know why? Because those are good weapons. Those are great weapons. As for me and my house, see, now I've learned. I've seen somebody use those weapons. Now I want to do the same thing. So some of you now, you got to get those weapons. You got to pick those things up. We're in a battle right now. You're in a fight for your family. You're in a fight for your finances. You're in a fight for your job. You're in a fight for those around you. You're in a fight right now. And the enemy, he doesn't play fair. He's going to poke your eyes out. He's going to bite you. Oh, that hurts. That's not fair. Hey, it's okay. You know what you got? It's fine. You, you want to play like that? Well, check this out. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You could try to form any weapon. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. All those that rise up against me, they're going to fall. I know exactly what I got to do. You could try your deception. You could try your accusations. You could try your temptation, but it ain't going to work. It's not going to work. You know what I have found in studying this word? I've studied enough of the word to know that I haven't studied the word enough. I haven't. I still don't have it all down yet. It's a double-edged sword. So in other words, when it goes after the enemy, it also goes after me too. And it gets me. Said, man, I'm not perfect. So anytime I try to go, man, you know what? You're not perfect. Oh, neither am I. It's all right. It's a humbling process. Use this thing. Listen to me. For those of you at your job and you're having a tough time and everybody around you is always downcast, they're always discouraged, get this word and encourage them. Encourage them. You should be one of the best employees at your job. You should be an employee at your job that people look up to. That people say, man, how come, why is he so good? Oh, because he knows the weapons. He knows the warfare. He understands what he's going through. See, a lot of people, they go to the job for money, and money is depressing. Right? Money's depressing. Oh, my gosh. Money's like, ah, oh, Jesus, how I got to deal with this? But when you understand how to use it, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, that's nothing. Pfft, tithing is nothing. Giving is, pfft, you know how to can, that's nothing. Because you know how to use it. So I would challenge you. When the enemy tries to come in and he tries to accuse you, you're no good with money. You're no good with your husband. You're no good with your wife. You're no good. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to be a horrible parent. Man, your, your dad and your dad's dad, they both divorced. You're going to divorce too. Oh, man. You know what, God? I'm going to take this word. I'm going to put it inside of me. And I'm not going to allow the enemy to deceive me or accuse me anymore. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Close your eyes with me here this, this afternoon. Father, I pray right now, Lord God, that you would touch the hearts and the minds and the bodies and the souls, Lord God, of this simple message of those that are fighting a battle even right now, Lord God. Those that are fighting for their marriage. Those that are fighting for their finances. Those that are fighting for their children, Lord God. Help them to put on this full armor. The full armor, Lord God, that is there. The full armor that won't allow the enemy to deceive from the right. Won't allow the enemy to tempt from the left. Won't allow the enemy to accuse from behind. But Lord, we would put on this full armor, God. Father, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would touch those, my God, that are fighting, that feel that depression. Lord, there's, there's a spirit of depression that comes upon 
this city and it comes upon even the Bay Area within a moment's notice. We have seasons where people get depressed quickly, God. I bind that up. I want to bind that oppression. I want to bind that depression. Where people just want to sit and sulk in the sorrows of their sin. But no more in the name of Jesus. All of sin have fallen short. We want to pick back up, Lord God. Father, there's people here that need a healing. Let healing come to the house, the heart today. Let healing happen. The disease will not oppress them. The disease will not oppress them. The curse will not oppress them. Believing by faith, by faith. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and I want to pray right now for those. This is very important for those that you say, you know what, the enemy has been trying to oppress my house. The enemy has been trying to oppress my family, my marriage, my, my children. As we look around the junior highs and high schools of today, you see more and more kids getting depressed. And then what happens is the parents get depressed because they think it's their fault. Because my child is depressed. I want you to know something. That's a lie from the enemy. Listen, mom. Listen, dad. Don't be deceived by the enemy. You're learning how to be the best parent, the best mom, the best dad. And you're getting it inside of you. You're going to be the best mom, the best dad that you've ever been. Not by the world's standards, but by God's. God has a standard. God has rule. Don't think if your children are older and they've ventured off and they've done their own thing that you're a horrible parent. No, you're not. No, you're not. Don't let the deception come in and the oppression comes in. The success of the world. Don't let that be your gauge for who you are as a parent. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I really want to pray for those. I felt this.